This is Entheogen, talk about tools for generating the divine within. Find the notes and links for this and other episodes at entheogenshow.com. Sign up to receive an email when we release a new episode. Follow us at Entheogen Show on Twitter and like Entheogen Show on Facebook. Today is February 21st, 2016, and we are discussing sacred plant retreats with Maxwell Wieland of Munai Medicine in Peru. This is part two of our interview. Max, I mean, I meant to ask you questions about uh, Munai a long time ago, but listening to your, your backstory is just so cool, so fascinating. And it also, I really like the, the idea of someone having all these experiences and then kind of uh, coming to the point where it's like, okay, what am I going to do about it now? How do I turn this experience into action and meaningful action? And uh, so where we, we left off before is right at the point where you get to kind of uh, co-founding uh, Moon Eye Medicine. And I'm just curious as to, you know, what's, what's the vision? What are, you, what are you guys trying to do? How does it work? Um, what, what, what do you offer? So the first thing is what our, our programs look like. We generally offer a 10-day retreat program, um, but uh, it's, it's hugely uh, susceptible to individuals' needs and what they're looking for, like... Um, so during the 10 days, since most people are like, I want to come and try like everything that Peru has to offer and I got to be back and work in two weeks. So make it work. So it's kind of really jam packed. Uh, honestly, it would work better if people came down for a couple weeks, but you know, the Western world is a little less accepting us or that sort of thing. For a lot of people looking for ayahuasca, they read this thing called La Dieta and it's, uh, uh, it's just the whole lifestyle around participating with this plant. And it takes the, the term diet uh, from just a, a, a food uh, awareness, a food association, to everything that you are under, like, uh, or you are receiving stimuli from. And this is, this is media, this is electronics, this is the people around you, this is uh, your own culture, your clothes, everything, everything that's, uh, you're really receiving uh, stimuli from is your diet. And so what these diets have you do is they have you drop out of all your normal stimuli. And as a result of that, you, you're kind of forced into an introspective state. Uh, it's really hard to do in the Western world, and that's why I, I said I'd like to offer it here because I, I got to tell you, I tried, and it's, it's really hard to tap out of talking to people and, and having intimate interactions when uh, my whole life was uh, food service at the time. So, you know, even though it wasn't social beyond skin deep, it was just social enough to kind of keep me in the Western mindset. And the idea of the diet is that you escape your own paradigms and you're able to kind of clear the stage for the plant to... Uh, express to you what it is that you are there to, to have. And uh, hmm. the ceremonies for what I do with Wachuma is uh, I do both day and night ceremonies. Usually it's, it's a common practice that people offer San Pedro or Wachuma in the daytime. They consider it this, uh, the opposite of the ayahuasca. It's more solar, it's daytime, it's loving, it's masculine, whereas the ayahuasca is like the uh, dark, feminine, nighttime introspective, non-social, uh, heavily purgative. And uh, so the San Pedro is, is usually seen in this daytime experience. And uh, I have to say it's it's very, very uh, positive experience uh, emotionally for many people if they have uh, repressions or even if you're into athleticism, it stimulates the release of human growth horm uh, hormone as well as prolactin for immuno benefits. So the daytime experience does have its place, but for me, the real magic is in the night, and that's where the, the stage is set for a fully visionary experience. And this is what people, uh, I don't feel, are fully aware 
uh, can happen with San Pedro is that it is a master teacher plant that provides these uh, reality uh, altering experiences and uh, truly augmenting uh, what you what you might call the soul by by having had them. So, so do you find I that like that to offer those too? So do you find that the the visionary part of of a San Pedro or, uh, experience um, you can you can sort of foster that by this cactus diet you know by this you know, um, just separation from Western mindset that sets the stage for that. It helps. It really helps. And, you know, everyone is kind of like their own Rubik's cube, their own set of locks. It's like a puzzle made out of liquid and it's constantly shifting. So the idea is when they're here, it slows down a little bit long enough that we can kind of figure it out. And, uh, it might be the detachment. It might be the change in the food because we eat pretty much exclusively vegan here. Uh, and so all of these things kind of play a role in it, but, but what really, uh, I think I think counts is, is the person's the person's real interest to connect with with that plant, uh, as well as having uh, a strong medicine available at at their you know disposal. And so, I, I like I said, the daytime sort of has this place for me, but the nighttime it seems to offer uh, this window into an even deeper transformative experience, uh, and that's. Like, like I said, that for me, that kind of changed everything, and that's really what I'm here for, and that's, that's kind of the, the heart of uh, this place and how it came to be. And so since it's my practice and it's my ceremony, it's how I connect to this sacrament. And that's really all a ceremony is. People say, like, oh, so you're not going to sing, like, the whole night. No, if I'm singing, it's because you, you need some help, and uh, it would be better if I'm not singing, actually. Trust me, I'm not that great. <laughs> So, so uh, the times that I feel like I have to get involved, I do get involved. But the whole philosophy behind Munai is that through your experiences here in a safe, controlled environment, you discover your own inner power that you can guide yourself, that you are intuitive, that you don't need to give the mantle of authority on yourself to some guy with feathers and smoke. Uh, the, the idea of sh- a shaman telling you who you are, it's really a, a continuation of the problem that has led Westerners to seek a shaman, and that's disconnection. They say, you know, I'm dis- I'm, they don't realize it's the disconnection from spirit, and they go to another guy who's not them to tell them about themselves spiritually. And so it only serves to perpetuate the root of uh, a lot of people's uh, searching. And so we kind of entered this, this whole other concept of uh, the benefits and drawbacks of a shaman and, and using a shaman as a psychedelic tether, uh, a sanity totem, if you will, to stop you from going out into your most deep, your most true, your most authentic experience possible. And so in that way, I find that someone singing at me stops my endogenous experience and then just t- tunes me into that channel of this guy singing. And uh, here, we we get the the different experience, everyone has, has gone and sought the Shipibo-style ayahuasca ceremony where there's singing for four to eight hours. And now I'm going to give you a dark room with a hot shower, a good diet, and the knowledge that I am always right around the corner, and all you have to do is tap on something or turn a light on, and I'll be right there. So it lets you handle what you can handle as much as you can, and you feel hopefully safe enough that you can step beyond your comfort zone. And it's like, once you do that, you've opened up the platform for your, your future self and you can no longer uh, regress to the stage before that. Uh, even in, in like yoga or something like that, I like to use Wachuma uh, San Pedro with yoga practice. I find it, it complements it really well. And it's like, okay, so I can get into a pose and all of a sudden something will unlock. 
And uh, in the future, I'll, I'll be able to get into that depth again that I previously hadn't mm. been able to unlock. And so it's the same thing in the way the mind works here. Once you've uh, gone to the next platform, it's like, I can't go back to sleep anymore. I know I'm asleep. And that, it's like lying to yourself. It only, uh, it only serves to distract you. That's really fascinating so, about the connection with yoga. I'm, I'm curious about how, how you actually use that in, you know, in ceremony. Where does that fit in to the overall uh, plan? Is that, you know, you begin with some yoga and set, set the stage that way? Or does it happen like kind of at a peak? I to to people about their practice uh, with their physique and if they're in the meditation or, or breath awareness. These are all parts. Uh, I took an uh, international certification for uh, vinyasa uh, like 230-hour course in North Carolina back in 2014, I found that leaving that and being certified as a yoga instructor, uh, the, the people that I was connecting with were interested in athleticism and not so much the philosophy behind it. And I mean, you break the word down ashtanga and it just means eight limb. And what everyone's, you know, jumping for joy and wearing their Lululemon pants for is just one of the eight limbs. It's vinyasa. And, you know, they're not jumping for joy at breathing and they're not jumping at joy at... at uh, uh, these, these, these other limbs. So I, f I found that teaching yoga in the Western world was not something I wanted to be involved with, but it's a natural complement for the cactus. And myself, I used to be uh, obese, sad, uh, and like I was into fireworks, you know, very creative stuff there. I created things that would destroy stuff. That's how creative I was. And uh, somehow the cactus was like, no, no, you, you got to move your body and uh, all the stuff in your mind, it's, I'm, I'm not even going to ask your permission. I'm just going to change it sublimely, uh, the positive stuff. So take that, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, uh, oh, I feel better. <laughs> Max, I love, I love your whole uh, outlook on all of these things, and uh, you know, particularly because it's very similar to my own. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I, I think that's really cool. I think that uh, I've had the same experience where I didn't – I live in Spain, but I, I didn't start uh, – and I was never interested in yoga when I lived in the U.S. It's something I started doing here years afterwards and, and for my own reasons was kind of disenchanted with, uh, I don't know, some, some of the, the Western way of doing things. And I just happened upon the right yoga teacher and, and yoga and I are not natural allies to begin <laughs> with. I'm like a very – extremely inflexible person it's not and i found the right person who said you know this is that's one part of yoga yoga is a lot more complex than that and it was going through the other channels that kind of i came around to the whole physical part of it and actually made made some progress there but um i just thought when i went to uh you know when i've gone home and i've gone to to yoga i've uh, you know, just to like step in a, into a class or something. I feel like, you know, I, I went with Joe one time and I remember telling you, right, Joe, I was like, I feel like I'm at a track meet. Yeah. You know? like, it's almost competitive. It falls off. It's like, everyone, like, uh, athletic yeah. moms. Like. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. You know, and, and definitely the, you know, I, I loved your Lululemon <laughs> pants comment because, you know, it's, there, there's a lot of that. There's the track meet com competition, but also, you know, the, the aesthetic part of like how good do I look and right, you know yeah, it's like uh, oh I'll go to yoga because I look better when I'm naked <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, you know and that and then and then going back even further into what you said I think um, yeah I also couldn't agree more about the the accessibility of of the experiences and not and not giving over to uh, as Carl Ruck said when he when he came on with us you know he said I don't I try not to give anybody any advice because I don't want to be a guru. I'm not here to tell anyone else what they need to know or or how they need to do it. And I thought that was a really humble and 
and I don't know, just a, a really honest thing to say. Uh, you know, why should we trade one uh, system of belief for another and, and have to go through the, the expert who tells us how it's done? You know, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd we're, much we're prefer very either. familiar with that model uh, yeah. where we talk to a priest about our sins. And we have him, like, uh, you know, work out a deal with God where we repeat something and he counts it down as, all right, well, it looks like you suffered enough. So, and like, uh, pass me some bath salts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If we're getting into that priest land, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's it, on, on the positive side, he did smell very good all the time. You know, it's, <laughs> Matt, well, Max, it was well, interesting well, hearing yeah. you talk about the way that the retreats are structured and. It sounded like, you know, without there being a leader there or a shaman kind of guiding with song that people have an individual experience or in their room. Is that kind of what? So there's no like Maloka where there's like a. No, there, there is. Together. And, uh, oh, there is. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a place uh, built specifically for ceremonial use. And so in that way, it's always kept as like this uh, sacred space. You know, no one's going to go in there and uh, do something that would be like outside of the normal vibe for that room. Um, but, you know, sometimes if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with us, uh, group ceremonies, but, uh, for me, like I said, I get a little distracted and, right. uh, I find that I, my best, uh, like spaceship is my bed and it turns out it's my bed. It can't be someone else's bed. So, uh, when these people are here for a couple of days, it starts to establish like, this is the spot that you, you know, you go in and out of consciousness with the sleep. And so it kind of follows the same suit and you, uh, there is the Maloka. If that's if that's what you're uh, into, you want to be a part of the group. There's also a common lounge area we have with like a big fireplace inside, many couches and stuff. So if you're feeling a little bit more social or like you want to go into a lighted area, we have that group space too. But um, I usually find that people here are really uh, really down with going just back to their room uh, for the most intense part of the experience. And whenever they're ready to come out or if they need some help, they'll they'll let it be known. And uh, for the most part, people. People really don't need that much help as long as they have the uh, like an appropriate serving of whatever medicine they have. You know, it's all about right. being appropriate and yeah. uh, not about blowing someone like, hey, dropping a psychedelic grenade in their lap and saying, well, you know, you're only here for 10 days. We've got to do this as much as we can. So it, it really doesn't serve uh, the best, the highest good when they fly that close to the sun and get burned. Right. So in, just one stage at a time and it comes with comfort. I'd like to leave people. Uh, waiting for the next experience, going. I can't wait to drink more and see what would happen. And cool. so it's it's a it's a safe. It's like a I think it's called like coyote teaching, where you leave a hint and then they're hungry for the answer. But it's like <laughs> I didn't didn't push you there. You know, in my experience, uh, I have found it to be a bit distracting at times when you know you're in a maloka in a shared space with ayahuasca in particular, and people are purging, and it's impossible not to notice that that's happening, and it can kind of pull you out of your experience. And hearing the way that you describe this, it's actually reminiscent to me of uh, some of the studies that we've been talking about. So we recently watched and talked about um, this documentary produced by uh, by Barnhart, where it's these people in a very controlled environment, almost somewhere, almost akin to like a, a medical facility where they're being overseen by doctors, but yet the environment's very comfortable. It's dark. There's music. It's this very personalized, comfortable situation, and it's 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 fascinating to me to know that like th this exists. You know, this is kind of what you guys are offering here in Peru, where it's yeah, sort of a hybrid. Like two thirds of the experience, right there, dark, comfortable, and like uh, relevant music. 
Hmm. Yeah, and it seems like a really cool hybrid of the the traditional, uh, you know, medicines that that you're working with with a more contemporary, personalized application. Yeah, that's uh, that's some a whole subject to to talk about. So what we call tradition currently is like uh, what we're like a oh, San Pedro, you know, the traditional San Pedro shamanism. Well, that their tradition goes back to being associated with a word that was relevant to being killed off if you were practicing something else. And that's only a couple hundred years ago. There is uh, findings of cactus as old as like 10,000, 10, 10,500 years old in the central highlands of Peru, not far from the San Pedro temple. So out of 10,000 years, the last 500, we're going to call that tradition. You've got to be kidding hmm. me. <laughs> so, you know, and that's, that's only one piece of the puzzle we found. It's not to say the puzzle even goes on further. So we're saying the last 5% is traditional. And I'd have to say, uh, just from that sort of uh, awareness, uh, I, might, I might stretch to say that ayahuasca has become a modified tradition in, in the sense that it's, uh, it's a platform for Westerners in many ways. And uh, I can imagine many... Uh, Many individuals living in the Amazon being genuine, authentic, uncontacted individuals practicing this way, they, they perhaps don't do the Maloka thing. They perhaps just do the quiet, dark thing and maybe their own singing. So mm -hmm. in terms of what is traditional, it's like part of the expectations when people come here is to, you know, okay, so we have this guy, he has feathers, he's native, and uh, he's the guy that's going to facilitate it. And, you know... It, most people will just, without actually investigating the individual to any extent, will all of a sudden give him credit. And uh, I find this phenomenon uh, in reverse with myself because of uh, my Caucasian complexion. And so it's one of the first times in my life that I have uh, extreme prejudice against me uh, from the U.S. where I was uh, used to not having this sort of situation. And so people come here and they say, well, how can you be a shaman? You're, you're white. And... Uh, <laughs> It's, it, we have, I have to start somewhere at the philosophy, at least, uh, you know, what, what the word shaman means and uh, going to the tungst, uh language of Siberia and defining it there and then saying, okay, what is tradition? And, you know, eventually pretty much everyone can't not acknowledge logic and uh, we end up having a really great relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Do you uh, do you have a title? Do you like refer to yourself as a curandera or obviously not I a think shaman? The easiest, the easiest title for me would either be Wachumero, which is someone who works with the Wachuma, or okay. the, another word would be alchemist. I mean, that's a, kind of a relevant thing too. A large part of my practice is the science of alkaloids, uh, extraction of alkaloids through either nonpolar or polar solvents. So that's a, a part of the contemporary practice I get to bring here is the, the awareness and refinement. I approach these uh, ancient plants with an extremely pragmatic uh, uh, process. And I use uh, tools and like a, some, some nice machines you'll find in kitchens. And, uh, you know, I, I can do so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've actually thrown a cactus on a slicer before. So that's <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> That's a great image. That's a great <laughs> way to, to three feet of it. To, to it's a, that's a great way to increase the surface area when you're doing an extraction, right? Just slice it like you're slicing American cheese. <laughs> well, I find actually, uh, so when I'm doing any of the processes, I like to 
if I have the abundance of, uh, of, of, of the cacti, then I, I only work with the green layer because it's much higher concentration of active alkaloids. And even though the rest of the cactus is about two-thirds the weight, it only contains about one-third the alkaloids. So it's many times more dilute. And the similar situation occurs uh, when you concentrate any plant in excess. It, it becomes uh, full of plant oils in the tea. So ayahuasca usually uh, is extremely oily, like muddy. It's kind of like this in-between oil and water thing. And I, I suspect the reason of this is because they use so much of a leaf called Psychotria viridis, cousin to Psychotria epicac, which is where we derive hmm. the purgative Western emergency medicine epicac from. Mm -hmm. And so they make these extreme concentrations of oils with the Psychotria, the DMT leaf, and they add it to another plant, the MAOI. And of course, at, at the end of this, you're drinking hundreds of grams of plant at a time. It's, it's really hard for the body to digest. So, uh, well, that's the best they could do, right? In the, in this very limited, you know, tra quote tra traditional, um, well, you know, preparation. You you could, but having a little bit more of an international awareness, we know the plant Syrian rue exists, and it takes about three to five grams for fully MAOI dose. It's mm -hmm. about twenty times more potent than ayahuasca when dry. And uh, there's another admixture commonly used in the northern Amazon and Peru and Ecuador and Colombia called uh, chaliponga wambisa. Chakrapanga. It's a. Uh, its botanical name is Diplopteris cabriana, cabriana, and uh, it is known to contain up to seven percent. I think, like m many times more than the traditional ayahuasca chacruna. And so, in this way, the use of this plant uh, has a much lower oil in the final product. So it's very easy to, with so only a couple grams of of uh, uh, the MAOI plant and a gram or two of this chaliponga to make a very light tea that, you know, would look more like a regular tea you'd get at a store and not be oily. Uh, and so it's for this reason that I isolate the green layer in the cactus. It's the same sort of concept. We're getting the most potent part and we're making it out of that so you don't have to drink all this other stuff. And mm. so when I do this and I do some other processes that break down and remove the cellulose so we don't have that extra nausea from trying to digest the cellulose, uh, it ends up with a pretty high-powered, what might be quoted as rocket fuel. And uh, <laughs> usually people come here looking for ayahuasca, and then they end up leaving talking about Wachuma. And uh, their ayahuasca experiences are like hit or miss. But with Wachuma, it's, uh, no, I can measure how many alkaloids are in the cup. And it's, you're getting the same amount every time. So it's, uh, it's amazing to see people like uh, convert immediately <laughs> when they come. <laughs> How does it feel to be, uh, you know, a, a quote, a mad scientist, for lack of a better word, um, but practicing totally freely, um, you know, in, in Peru versus your experience here being, you know, so oppressed? Well, I mean, it's it's uh, hugely liberating. I don't have this uh, extreme paranoia that, you know, the government's watching me through my laptop or some sort of crazy shit. And, uh, you know, at this point, it's like, watch me. You might learn how to prepare your own plants better. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and... Uh, right. I couldn't help but uh, think, you know, Max, that you need a TED talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, Seriously. That's a great, that's a great idea. Um, well, it's, you know, it's interesting to, to hear this perspective too, because, um, you know, it, it, it's one that I've been slowly coming around to. I think I, I had a very limited view of, um, you know, this sort of, um, 
like Western corruption of the, you know, traditional practice of, of shamanism, you know, and, and kind of thinking about in that framework, like, well, you know, these, these traditions have existed for, like you said, you know, thousands of years. And, um, you know, typically it's done in a certain way with certain like metaphors used and, and, you know, um, and and it's done under a certain, um, you know, guidance of a shaman in a certain way and everything. And, uh, and then it's easy to see like Westerners come in and, and, um, you know, do things, do things a different way, um, totally disregarding those traditional practices, like having no regard for them, uh, no need for them. Um, but I think that this is a much better framework in which to understand this because what you're bringing is like the scientific mindset to it, um, and applying, you know, the, the modern tools and a, and a new perspective on, the uh, on this practice and really developing like the best um the best way to get to the same you know what the goal is the goal is healing personal liberation personal liberation exactly betterment um and then there's you know the easier and better ways to do that and 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 like you said there's no maybe no need to have this you know purgative effect um associated with you know with with drinking the tea um although there may be some you know uh, benefit to that in certain circumstances but it's not necessarily part of the experience it doesn't have to be right. yeah, i'm happy and, i'm uh, happy to leave it behind yeah, yeah, right <laughs> right right well it's 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 definitely i think it's um just amazing uh to that this is all happening right now you know this is happening in earnest right now i mean your you know your particular facility uh munai medicine you know opened up very recently um, I've learned recently of a, of a couple of other, um, you know, relatively new um, retreat centers uh, in Peru, and I'm sure there are others elsewhere. Um, but to see, you know, this to see this um, re-envisioned in a way that, you know, works for modern society, works a lot better for modern society. Um, it's just really exciting to, to see this right, happening. Yeah. Right now we have people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s here. So it's, you know, as if a whole generation is kind of smashed into one thing. And uh, you, you brought up uh, other ayahuasca centers and, and medicine centers. And I, I wanted to touch briefly uh, on a kind of bizarre awakening I've had about it's, uh, there's this helter-skelter possibility going on. <laughs> and I went, to a, I went to a place that was hosting a, a free uh, artistic retreat and uh, not to name any names, um, but... I found that the staff there were completely under the spell uh, of the, 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 the founder. And it was to a point where it was uh, borderline mil- like a military attitude and uh, the person was claiming to literally be ayahuasca. And uh, it, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was very much a, a wake-up call. So yeah, it's like, it's I, came, something... I came back and uh, was like, oh, I, I tried to go on a little vacation and meet some artists, and I just kind of survived this cult. <laughs> and <laughs> so, how does, how uh, does a person, uh, how does a person get to that point? I mean, like they're they're taking ego killing substances and then come out of it with an even bigger ego. How does that happen? It's a, it's a remarkable... Well, see, now that's that's this like a whole duality and paradox of the ego and like the Western perspective of slay the ego. The, the Easterners were right, and then. The irony is after you slay the ego, you sign, kind of get this little ego uh, like, oh, yeah, I could slay it. Yeah, that's right. And uh, <laughs> it's like, I just slayed my ego. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Pat yeah, yourself on the back. Like, no, I slayed it. Like, you know, it's... <laughs> 
So good on, that good kind, on kind of builds a little bit, but also at the same time to be uh, to be able to function as an individual um, serving these sort of things and facilitating the experience, it's important to stay uh, somewhat egoic because you have to be able to manage the the dimension of phys- the physical reality and uh, the people in it as well. So my job is ensuring the safety of, of the people. And so in a way, I'm kind of like uh, extra ego bound. It takes I'll drink the the same wachuma and uh, you know things are a little less psychedelic for me, but uh, it's it's a good practice for me either way. And so it's not always about slaying the ego, and it's uh, it's definitely not always about keeping the ego either, because you know what that's like with a higher dose, and you try and hold on to it. It's yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did a whole show on that one. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The, avoid the dreaded underdose. Dose high, dose healthy. <laughs> nice. So at the end of a DMT extraction manual, it says that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good advice. Well, um, I like the I like the killing of the the orthodoxy and the fundamentalism. Uh, you know, it's just I think it's just really refreshing, and uh, I I like that uh, there's no intermediary. I like that the person who's kind of in charge of all this is um, acts as a, a servant to the person who is uh, having the experience. I think that's the way uh, that make it makes sense to do it. I think, uh, you, you know, the, the person who's facilitating is there to care for and to, to help that person and let that person have their own experience. And, you know, I think the, the integration part afterwards is probably, uh, extremely important. And it's another place where that, that person can have an effect, but, uh, but definitely removing the, the dogma, uh, seems like a positive step. Yeah. And even if you have people say, well, you know, I had this in my vision, what does it mean? You really, it's an opportunity to, uh, to like just act as like a mirror or a soundboard and say, you know, what does it mean to you? Because if you say, well, you know, uh, well, that Jaguar means that you're powerful. The person's like, ooh, the, sh- the, the shaman said I'm powerful. Like, wow, you know, <laughs> like I have this delusion now that's be underneath my, uh, my logic level. And so it's a, I find it best just to let people come to their own answers. And, uh, I talk about my own experiences when they sound like they're relevant and, uh, yeah, let people find whatever personal truth there is. Really, uh, my job is to do this safely enough to show you how to do it safely enough so that you can do it on your own after you leave here. And so, you know, I hope that people coming here, they're going to live for several more decades. And courtesy of the World Wide Web, I'm able to share recipes. So once you've come and, you know, see what it's like here in a safe, controlled environment, if it's something that you want to keep practicing on, I'm all for you practicing your your plants wherever you are. And I'm, uh, I'm here to help, help with that too. So. Well, Max, it's been really amazing having you on the show your wealth of information. Um, and I think we certainly have, uh, even, even more questions to ask you in the future. So in the meantime, we wish you the best of luck with moon eye medicine. We'll have links to it on our entheogenshow.com page and, um, listeners should check out entheogenshow.com to get links to Munai Medicine uh, in Peru if they want more information. And uh, thanks again, Max, for being on the show. All right, guys. Thank you so much. It's, it's been great. We're actually doing visionary uh, Wachuma tonight, so I'm... Oh, I'm get the set, fuck set out set of here, up. man. <laughs> <laughs> so, I got I to gotta get ready for that whole event. I got my headphones and blanket. Nice. Oh, man. My, my envy level has just uh, gone through the roof, man. Well, um, have you... Uh, have you read any uh, – I have this one little thing and it's I ate three feet 
I don't know if you've read this. <laughs> no. We got to edit in that little button that Max gave where I was like, well, tonight we've got the visionary. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that quote is a great send off. Little, little <laughs> teaser. Night, guys. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We're about to see what 10 ounces brings this guy. So usually it's a uh, splintering of realities. <laughs> nice. Oh. Excellent. All right, y'all. I'm Good out. luck splintering. Cool. Thanks, right. man. Take, Thanks take it easy, man. Thanks again. Bye. Ciao.